Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Hi, I'm Marty Nemco. In the last two of these videos, I've uh, presented so, some unpopular opinions about various things, and today I decided to do another one, this one all around the issues of work. These are nine underrated ideas about work, and I thought maybe it's helpful. I'm just going to list them first so you know where I'm going, and then I'll flesh each out. First, choose a career quickly. Two, in hiring, prioritize simulations over interviews and references. Three, self-employment is overrated, government employment underrated. Marketing is a net evil. Top executives unfairly get a bad rap. Corporations unfairly get a bad rap. The high school and school, high school and college curriculum provide very suboptimal preparation for any career. Okay, so now I'm going to flesh each of those out. Choose a career quickly. I mean, the normal conventional wisdom is take your time. You have a whole lifetime. You don't want to make a wrong choice. Sure, you can change careers, but better to do it right the first time. But the truth is, I found that much more often than waiting, uh, being helpful, because there is no perfect fit career. It's wise to choose something that either jumps at you immediately, kind of in the same way as they tell you when you answer a multiple choice question, your first, first intuition is usually right. And also because very often the careers that are in front of you, you have an edge. It could be because a family member or a friend is in that career. And ultimately, that door opening that that family member or friend can provide is more useful than kind of waiting on the sidelines hoping for a more perfect career to... Uh, Emerge. Of course, you know, if you're a hands-on fix-it person, you're not going to choose a word career and vice versa. But beyond those very gross, broad characterization uh, categories, uh, it's usually wise to just choose quickly because the time you spend on the sidelines is usually far better spent getting to be expert in your career. Second, in hiring, prioritize simulations over interviews and references. We tend to trust interviews because we see people face-to-face -face or on Zoom. We tend to trust references because somebody tells you this person is great or whatever. But there are so many reasons why both of those have very poor predictive validity. Interviews can be biased simply based on the way somebody looks. We're biased toward tall people, pretty people, people of certain ethnic groups. We are... Um, uh, some of them, some people are very well coached in interviews, so they've got perfect answers for why there's a gap in their career or, you know, what their greatest strengths and weaknesses. And so very often what you're ending up doing is making a judgment based on who's been done the most interview prep rather than who is the best candidate. And very often it is the best candidates who do the least interview prep because they know they've got the goods. So it can be negatively correlated. And in terms of references, even the worst employees often can wrangle a decent reference from their past employer to avoid a lawsuit or whatever. And I've even had horror stories where a client who had terrible references had then just asked her girlfriend to uh, pretend it was the boss and use that as reference. What counts is simulations. Instead of, you know, maybe even instead of interviews, or certainly in prioritization over interviews, do simulations of common difficult tasks on that job. That's the most valid indicator. And if possible, hire the person on a, on a project basis first, because it is very hard, especially in California where I live, to get rid of even a terrible employee. So see if you can hire the person for a project, a week, a day even, uh, a month, 
uh, and then say that's that the plan is to then offer, if both of you are happy with each other, a, quote, more permanent job. Okay, the next underrated idea about work that I, I believe is underrated is that self-employment is overrated, government employment underrated. Self-employment is ever more difficult because there's ever more paperwork, ever more regulations if you want to be legal. It's very, very difficult. Sure, and you know, when the internet first came into being, it wasn't that hard to make a living off of eBay or selling products on Amazon. But these, even those what used to be low-hanging fruit are no longer low-hanging. They're, they're already mature industries. I mean, I buy used books all the time. And now there are these just few behemoth companies that sell used books on Amazon, and they're very well capitalized. And you also need to be, and this is not different than it's ever been, but you need to be a self-starter. You need to be able to solve problems by yourself. You can't just always bring in a consultant or whatever. You need to be very much self-motivated because nobody's going to tell you to come in at 8 or 9 o'clock. You're going to be there, and it's all on you, and there's a lot of stress. Government employment is underrated. In contrast, companies are ever, because of ever more government regulation and competition, are hiring ever more people part-time temp with no benefits or offshoring to low-cost countries. Government doesn't care as much about money in the bottom line, so they're much more likely to offer full-time benefited jobs with lots of vacations and holidays and all the rest of it, even a pension, especially the federal government. Most of us don't like the idea of jumping around from place to place, and in government, you've got very great job security. And yet, once you're inside the government, you can it's easier to make a lateral transfer, so you're not stuck in one job for the rest of your career. So I believe government employment is underrated. The third underrated idea about work is that marketing is a net evil. Marketing is one of the most popular careers, so clearly most people think it's okay. But generally, while of course there are the occasional time you've got this brilliant new product and you've got to get people to know about it, so you've got to do some marketing. But that's only a sliver of the, of the marketing enterprise. Very often, you're, especially when a company is spending more money on marketing or a nonprofit, it's because on the merits, their word of mouth, word of mouth is not helping them get enough clients or customers. So, you know, very often you're marketing an inferior product. And yet they're ever more sophisticated and manipulated. And believe me, politicians hire whole marketing teams to create the right wording, the right messaging, the right looks even. They have these focus groups where they have the candidate present and each of the people in the focus group have a dial from zero to 10. And every time they feel the candidate, they're liking the candidate more, they turn the dial to the higher number. Every time they feel like I like them less, a lower number. So this is all the base of what marketing is. It's based on psychographic understanding of the target market, all kinds of manipulations. So I consider marketing a net evil. It, it's inimical to people making choices, whether it be of products, services, nonprofits to donate to, or political candidates based on the merits, but rather how good the spinmeisters and marketing mavens are. The next underrated idea about work is that top executives unfairly get a bad rap. My, I've been grateful that my um, career coaching practice is overrepresented by top executives. And I, like everybody else, used to think of them as just fat cats because the way the media reports it, these are just, they live in their yachts and they're, they're assholes and, uh, uh, and they make zillions and they, they're selfish and they don't give much to charity. At least in the hundreds of top executives, CFOs, CEOs, chief marketing officers, even chief technology officer, chief people officers, 
They're basically very good people who work their ass off. And there's a surprising number who are willing to work for $1 or give most of their money to charity. But that's not going to make it in the New York Times or CNN. It's just this some miscreant executive. And they don't want to screw it. People are, they care tremendously. Yes, about a great product and their shareholders, but they do care about their workers. And it hurts them when they have to do a layoff, when they feel they need to, to be fair to the shareholders, which disproportionately are teachers, like the teachers' pension funds or cop unions or whatever. When they feel that, you know, like I think Google just is laying off, I think it was 10,000 low performers. Unfortunately, there are, especially in this era of the uh, quiet quitting, where people are just slowing down, and there is the media and colleges have created a tremendous antipathy to corporations. There's a hell of a lot of workers who do the minimum. I remember reading a study last year, this was a UK study, that of 2,000 office workers, the average amount of work that those, quote, full-time office workers did was 2 hours and 27 minutes. So no wonder corporations want to let them go. Because remember, in addition to the salary, there's the benefits and all the regulations and rights they have. Quote, rights. You know, if they, they feel they've been treated unfairly, you know, there are certain categories. It's racial, gender, sexual orientation, aging. All of those things can't be on the merits. They can fire you on the merits. But if you feel you've been untreated fairly based on those things, or even if you don't, but you want to keep your job, Corporations spend a fortune on, on lawyers to defend those lawsuits. Some are legitimate, some are not. Those executives are having to stay, spend a hell of a lot of time dealing with that stuff. And I think over in general, the second a, a kind of a corollary underrated idea is that corporations are, are unfairly get a bad rap. I mean, corporations make everything that we need and use affordable, whether it be the lunch I just ate, the, the fruit, or the, uh, uh, the, the, I had Spanakopita for lunch, the Greek cheese pie. It was made by a corporation in Greece and sold by another corporation, Trader Joe's. And this webcam is made by Logitech that cost me $69 and enables me to communicate with thousands. And they sell millions of these. I'm using a blue microphone, which has cost me also $69, but it's got great sound quality. You gave me $10 million I couldn't make that. Only a corporation with all of its economies of scale can do that. I take a pill every day. That pill is made by a corporation. And it costs me essentially nothing. There is, of course, my insurance or whatever. But I remember in the old days, they used to tell you to take a baby aspirin. It's good for you. That aspirin costs two cents a day. I couldn't make an aspirin, a baby aspirin, for two, $200. And yet a corporation, the evil bear corporation, made it available so I could buy it in a generic for two cents a piece. And the final unpopular idea around work I want to talk about is the schools. The high school and the college curriculum provide very poor preparation for careers. And I'm not saying you should be teaching vocation where you're teaching welding necessarily in the class. I'm not saying that. But every career, even from blue collar to white collar to professions, requires the ability to do critical thinking and reasoning. To be a good citizen requires critical thinking and reasoning and good verbal communication skills. Very good verbal communication skills and writing skills. And yet, the, the high school and college curriculum is larded, yes, larded, 
with the tyranny of content. In math, from quadratic equations to the intricacies of calculus, that most people, even I interviewed a CEO of a software company, big, excellent guy. He never uses any of that. And most people I've spoken to, including engineers, rarely use that advanced math. And then, of course, there is the tyranny of continent in history class, where they expect you in high school to cover everything from the uh, ancient Romans to present-day history, European history, world American history, Asian history now. That tyranny of content militates against being able to reason critically. I'd rather see a high school whole year course study FDR's decision to not enter World War II, its pros, cons, why, ethical considerations, economic considerations, scientific considerations, military considerations. If a whole year was spent on that, I would bet that kids and talk and, and was spent critically analyzing and debating all that, that they would learn more for the real world of careers than by covering everything from the Peloponnesian Wars to the war in, in uh, Afghanistan. So just to summarize again, nine underrated ideas about work. Choose a career quickly. In hiring, prioritize simulations over interviews and references. Self-employment is overrated. Government employment underrated. Marketing is a net evil. Top executives unfairly get a bad rap. Corporations unfairly get a bad rap. By the way, I didn't mention about the corporations. You know, the fact that my, my daughter when she was a little kid, could invest $25 and buy a share of, of Disney stock. It's amazing that she got to participate in her, in, in the most brilliant minds who work for Disney, you know, Pixar and the like, and she gets to have a share of their profits with her $25. And millions of teachers and social workers and, and cops and, and other people saving for college, saving for retirement are able to invest in the best and brightest. If you buy Alphabet stock, you're all those smart people who work for Google. You're, you're getting to invest in them even if you're no brain, brain child yourself. Corporations unfairly get a bad rap. And as I said, the high school uh, and college curriculum is so tainted by professors who love their theory and their academic subjects with callous disregard for the needs of students to improve their critical thinking skills. And we live in an era also in which radicalizing students is ever more, at least an unspoken part of the curriculum in high school and especially in college. That is not preparation for success in a career. Actually, I want to end this podcast in an unusual way. Uh, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. So uh, for the hell of it, I just want to share some things I'm grateful for. I'm 72 and a half years old. I'm grateful to be in as good health as I've ever been, uh, physically and mentally. I'm able to ad lib and do these podcasts. I'm able to write every day. I, I have all the energy I ever had. I work 70 hours a week. So my physical health, and my, according to my doctor, I'm perfect health. I'm very grateful for that because my age peers are having issues. Some of them are having big issues. And I'm grateful I have no issues yet. That's part of why I make the most every day, because it can't last. I am grateful for the ability to make these videos. And I have over 7,000 followers, and I'm grateful to all of you 
who would choose to subscribe to my videos. I, I'm, I'm, I like that. And of course, I like your thumbs up that you give me and the nice comments. Generally, the thumbs up ratio is like 20 to 1. It's wonderful. I'm grateful. The comments are generally very nice, thoughtful. I'm grateful for my wife's hip. Dr. Michael Karen, my wife needed a hip replacement. And um, she was in such terrible pain with her arthritis in that that she really, you know, had slowed down her walking immensely. She had trouble getting in and out of a car. And then this wonderful Dr. Michael Caravelli uh, at St. Helena Hospital. Uh, she was out the same day. She tossed away the walker in four days. She now walks as fast as anybody else. And she's signing up for a tap dancing class. Uh, Dr. Michael Caravelli is an excellent, excellent orthopedic surgeon and a nice guy. And uh, I am grateful to him on behalf of my wife. I am grateful for my clients. I've had over 6,000. I'm especially grateful for my long-term clients. I have some who I've worked with for over a decade. And it's been very gratifying to see their progression very often from lower-level work to sometimes very senior, very important work. I have one that comes to mind who's involved in creating a next-generation, I don't want, I can't reveal any of the specifics, but really next-generation mind-blowing entertainment. I'll just say that, and it's really fun to watch all that. I am grateful to Richard Heyer, Rich Heyer. Uh, he is a professor emeritus in the School of Medicine at the University of California, Irvine, and uh, the editor of the, uh, uh, the journal Intelligence, and he has assembled uh, what he calls, we call, the Magic Nine, some of the world's leading uh, young researchers in the study of higher order thinking, cognition, problem solving. Uh, and we convene quarterly uh, to share ideas, which cross-fertilizes us all. And if it weren't for Rich Hire, it would never happen. Uh, Rich, I appreciate you and your friendship. I love, I've grown just in this year to become a fan of certain podcasts. I've rejected a bunch, but there are a few I want to call out. Uh, Sam Harris, I love his podcast. It's called Making Sense. Very thoughtful views about artificial intelligence, uh, the role of metaphysics, if anything, in the world. Ethics, certainly. Dwarkesh Patel, who talks too fast, but it's really gotten me up to speed on artificial intelligence and uh, things computerish. Lex Friedman, who uh, has convinced me that despite being rather laconic and not a great interviewer, his kind, patient demeanor and intelligence allows him to keep me interested even in a three-hour podcast. And he will interview conservatives and liberals. I like that. And The Der Show. That's Alan Dershowitz's podcast. He does one every day. He's, he's always 83 years old. And although he's taken heat for uh, having defended uh, O.J. Simpson and uh, Donald Trump, he's also a big liberal and defends lots of liberal people. And he's, he's basically a liberal with some conservative and moderate views, but he's smart. At 83, he's still got all his marbles. He's very smart. Then there is uh, a bakery, of all things, that I'm very grateful for that I just discovered this year also. It's called La Chitania. It means the chestnut. It's in Lafayette, California. And it makes the best things I have ever, best tasting things I've ever put in my mouth. The best French butter croissant I've ever eaten. Some of the best 
sourdough, the, the best sourdough bread I've ever eaten in my life. And the owner of that is a tiny little shop. There's always a long line out the door because he's run it not like a factory. It's a small artisan business. The owner is named. He's there every day. His name is Michael Faircloth, early in the morning. And there are, they have a number of people who work there, but there are two I want to call out. as a mother and daughter who both strike me as unusually nice and kind. There's such subtleties about the way they take your order, about the way they bring you your drink. They're very lovely people. So it's Emma, I don't know their last names, uh, is the daughter, she's about 30. And the mom, Gina, she's probably in her mid-50s. Uh, thank you to La Chitania, Michael Faircloth, Emma, and Gina. I like, this is going to seem silly, but I am the opposite of a clothes horse. But there is this one thing that I wear that I love. I'm going to put it on now. It's a $24.99 fleece I bought two years ago from Uniqlo. It's a chain. I love this color and this, it's not solid. It's light, but it's warm. The zipper works beautifully. I like the color. I like the way it looks. $24.99, and it doesn't, it will never wrinkle because of its fleece material. I'm grateful that for $24.99, I could buy this. I wear it two, three times a week. And I'm grateful, finally, to, and this is another thing, just this year, I've I've always loved Broadway overtures. I think of it as an under underappreciated music form. I've come to love the particular overture above all others, and that's the one to Gypsy. And I've listened to various versions of it, and I love many of them. But the one that I just love, which is not just audio, but video, is something called, it's just they put together a bunch of musicians who played in shows on the West End of London. And they, they divided up the screen, like on Zoom, to 16 different people. And so I'm going to play it for you now. I'm a little nervous that it will somehow get, it won't get worked when you're, when, you know, I don't know, that it'll somehow get, the time will be off com compared to this. But I'm going to try it because I love it. And I'm going to have show you the video too. So let's see here. All right. Uh, Kings of Broadway. Okay. Let's see what happens. <laughs>
turn this back around. So that's the last thing I was grateful for. I thought it'd be a fun way, a very different way to uh, to end this. In any event, um, I'm just going to. Uh, that's those what I'm grateful for. I invite you to think about what, of course, what you're grateful for and all the rest of it. Anyway, I do wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I welcome your thumbs up on this video, except your thumbs down. Always look forward to your comments, and especially like if you hit the share button below. Share with your social media so that my efforts can have broader impact. And I am flattered if you choose to subscribe to my channel. And in any event, I do thank you for watching. I am Marty Nemco. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Dr. Marty Nemko, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. Post-production of How to Do Life by Terry Rouse. Music by Blue Dot Session. Thanks for listening.